We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our President's Day weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing and free premium delivery when you add a base. Ends Monday. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am joined today by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Paz. Hello. Hello, indeed. And I am joined by Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, Tim is making the long, long journey by foot to Bate Borisov or some, some such thing. So he will not be joining us today, but that's fine. Uh, there is plenty of bitching and moaning to do and maybe just a little bit of looking to the future. So what we are going to do today is uh, we are going to look back on the transfer window that was, um, what we did, what we didn't do, what we could have done. Once we have wiped the vomit from the microphones, we're then going to look forward and uh, talk a little bit about the season that is coming up because there is still a season that gets to start. I don't know if you know this. The, the first three games actually get wiped off the slate once the window closes and you get to start fresh. So that's the good news. Uh, the season starts fresh with Bournemouth this weekend, everybody coming back broken from the international break. So let's get started with, I, I think the best place to start is the interesting pivot that took place following the Liverpool debacle. And Paul... It seemed that for the whole summer there was one transfer strategy in place, and by the end of the summer it had been ripped up and replaced with another strategy that looked a lot more like selling Oxlade-Chamberlain, which we ultimately did, selling Alexis Sanchez, which ultimately it appears we tried to do and weren't able to do, replacing him with Lamar. There were comments about money we didn't have, and then maybe we did have it. So in final adjudication... How do you feel about the way we reacted in the last week of the transfer window and how it reflects just on sort of the strategic planning that goes into these times of the year uh, on the part of the club and the manager? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, 
it's hard to say we didn't screw things up. I know Ivan wants to say it was a success, and I understand in his role why it's his job to present it as such. Um, but um, it, we seem to have this thing where each window in recent years we started w- we start well or start clearly. Maybe we get a few good signings in that have been lined up beforehand, one or two. And about halfway through the window, we're getting a little nervous, but we say to ourselves, well, we started well, so let's stay calm. And after all, we've got, you know, X weeks to go. We've got six or seven, so we could get in two or three, and we tend to not get in very many at all, or if any. So I, I don't think anybody thought we weren't, well, <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't represent you, Elliot, but I don't think most people thought halfway through the window we would get zero in basically by by the end of play um and it seemed like we had a strategy but but you can't help wondering if we re- were we just in reactive mode i mean playing oxlade chamberlain for that final game against liverpool to me says that the man- manager right up until the end was not giving up on getting the player to sign uh, if Ornstein's comments um, are to be believed, and I think we all generally take that with a large uh, measure of of trust that there's something there, um, Wenger was mightily pissed with Oxlade Chamberlain that uh, he didn't renew. So I suspect there was some good cop, God, bad cop on the Oxlade Chamberlain and his agent side, and enough that persuaded Wenger he was with with a a shot of getting him signed up right up until the day after the Liverpool game, Mm. Um, which would tell you that our strategy was a bit of a mess. I mean, that does, I think, at least somewhat belie some naivete on the part of the manager, though, right? I mean, in terms of buying into that narrative and allowing his decision-making to be so controlled... uh, so out of his control and in the control of a player who really had all the leverage. Yeah. And certainly, you know, back to your original point about the strategy, it it means the strategy was torn up because obviously he was gambling on a player who was, who most of us could tell looked like he was edging towards the door. And so seeing as the chips fell the day after the Liverpool game, that'll talk about how strategically the the window played out. And the Lamar on again, off again, I mean, going in for whatever it was, 40-ish million, um, you know, six weeks before the deadline day, day, and then you're up at 100 million. Something, you know, that's that's not strategy. That's that's blind panic, I think. Uh, well, you know, for me, it's whatever reminiscent of 60 million and 75 million and 80 million rather than deadline day. It, well, it's reminiscent of, of what we're seeing with a lot of clubs, I think, in terms of knowing you may be on the brink of losing a star and feeling that the only way you can justify that is by bringing in an exciting player in exchange. And the problem then becomes you get pushed too far out on the price of the player you're placing. You saw it at Barcelona with Neymar going out and what they spent on players coming in like Usman Dembele, who's a phenomenal talent, what they paid for him. And, and I mean, you can even go back to Torres at Liverpool and what they paid for Andy Carroll. I mean, it, do you think that it's it was related to the fact that they felt they were on the brink of selling Alexis and at that point yeah. had to make a deal? Yeah. And again, it's all reaction, isn't it? It's all been on the back front, yep. back foot from what the two... I think they expected to lose one of the two, but not two of the two. I think that's why he was so desperate to hold on to Oxley Chamberlain. He knew he had an issue with Alexis, but um, they knew they couldn't sell both of them. Um, and that's why Lamar was on again. I don't know if he was ever truly off again, but why they didn't push the, the pedal to the metal well before deadline day. And I think it goes back to something... You know, the, my feeling from the last pod we did, which is Wenger has been catch-up in catch-up mode plan-wise emotionally and just on his bearings since chasing the last two or three months of the season just trying to uh, uh, kind of survive trying to make the top four trying to uh win the fa cup and kind of if you like reclaim his position in terms of the manager uh vis-a-vis internal politics and the board etc and he fell across the line and then 
kind of didn't have his bearings about what he was going to do during that summer and communications issues with the board, etc. So you can see why you would go through this this uh, this summer kind of blindly feeling your way, snatching at strategies, snatching at tactics, snatching at players. Yeah, and and it's look in order to compete, especially with some clubs that that have better resources or or more well resourced than you are, you have to have laser focus on what you're trying to accomplish in the window and then drive towards that ultimate goal. That includes yeah. the system that you're going to play on the pitch, the way you're going to deal with contracts, the way you're going to deal with expiring contracts, renewing players, and going out and recruiting, and who's going to be sold to raise money for new wages and new contracts and, and new arrivals. And when your strategy changes with four days or three days left in the window, I mean, that is conclusive evidence that you did not have a strategy that was sustainable in the first place. Uh, it should not be subject to such a, a wild fluctuation based on a result uh, at Anfield, no matter how embarrassing it was. Clive, um, I, there's so much to dig into here, but I, I want to get to early on uh, Ornstein's comments on Twitter and, and the report he published with some of the things he's being briefed by the club and some of the comments that he's getting from Gazidis. And some of it is stuff we've heard before, but something that stands out to me is that the club seems to want to hold Leicester City up as proof that you do not have to compete at the top level financially. You do not have to overspend. You do not have to outspend your resources, your, your uh, business model to compete. But of course, he's calling out one of the great outliers in professional sporting history across all major sports the world, the world over. And I think he's then painting us as sort of the little engine that could at a time when Forbes has us as the sixth richest club in the world by valuation, where we know we've been sitting on cash reserves that rival any club in the world at times when Chelsea have moved away from spending Roman Abramovich's money to using uh, the profits from operating the footballing business, and they have built in revenue generation through the sale of players. They have a, a loan sort of cottage industry they've created for developing talent. Um, how do you respond to Gazidis's referencing Leicester and what it means for our ability to genuinely compete at the top level and our, our willingness to compete at the top level? The worrying thing is, I mean, some people have laughed at that, right? but um, I wouldn't mind us being as efficient as Leicester in their recruitment, in their transfer strategy. They are, they are, they are showing us an example and you've only got to, you only got to look at the state of our squad. I mean, Elliot, you said something last week that really, really stayed with me. So who is a player? Was it the song? Really pit- it wasn't the song. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that's, that stayed with me as well. <laughs> okay. right? but, but who is the, the way player? Bad, that, who, the bad, bad Chinese food stays with you. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Who's, who you said? Who, you said something like, "Who is the player that we're going to pin our hopes on for the next four or five years?" And I, and I went away and I thought, I don't know who that is. And it was one of the reasons why I was keen for the Ox to stay because. You know, he's a hit or miss player. He's one, I'm a player. I, I like him, but he's a hit or miss player. You can't deny it. When he's a hit, he's fantastic. When you miss it, he's frustrating. And um, but what I liked about him was he was he was that 24 year old. How many 24 year olds have we got in our squad with a with a potential to be better? So you're looking at that core group. You're looking at Bellerin. You're looking at Ox. You're looking at potentially Ramsey and Mustafi. Bellerin asked to leave. Ox wanted to leave. Well, it has left, sorry. Mustafi. Ramsey, Mustafi wants to leave. And he starts to look around and you think to yourself, hold on, don't laugh at Leicester. Because Leicester didn't hesitate and they wanted to buy Kante. They didn't hesitate like we did. And they bought him at five million. They didn't hesitate twice. They got efficient scouting. They buy with a future in, in mind. They bought Harry Maguire when we should have bought Harry Maguire for 17 million. I trust me, in a year's time, he'll be worth 50 million. They are quick, efficient, and they buy well, and they go to different places in the world to buy the players they want to buy. Their age profile is good. They haven't got the money that we have, and because they haven't got the money that we that we have, they don't waste the money that we waste. They don't let situations develop like we have. They haven't left our squads really bereft of the right age profile. We're looking at multiple players like Koscielny over 30, Mertesacker about to retire, Kozola about to retire, Czech 36, Sanchez wants to leave, he's 28-29, Erzul 28-29. And this is the core of our squad. And I wish we were as efficient as Leicester. I don't laugh at them. I can see what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, he's making the assumption 
that fans just want to see money spent. Actually, I just want to see money spent wisely. So we actually do agree. Let's just spend wisely. Can we spend more wisely? Can we pay people appropriately? Can our wage bill not be 60, 70 million more than it should be? Because that's the issue. It, I find it quite ironic that Arsenal was one of the clubs that really was behind financial fair play. The, that that would be the, the Premier League financial fair play rules. And for people who aren't, haven't been keeping up with it, just a, a quick sort of beginner uh a summary of that is just that your wage bill can only increase a certain amount year over year uh, as I think a percentage of your, your profit or your revenue or your turnover, something like that. The point is that uh, what really was blocking us from adding another star player in the window was that we did not have the room to raise our wage bill to accommodate them. Yeah. And so one day we were saying we had no money and the next day we were, we were bidding you know, 92 million for Lamar. Well, it's not the transfer fee that's the issue. It's the wages. And once we've got rid of the players off the wage bill, we can add a, we could add another wage to our wage bill. And that was the issue. I just find it really ironic that we are the ones in our little high, moral high chair trying to get everyone to abide to financial fair play, yet we fell asleep at the wheel and we're the ones most at risk to breaking the Premier League rules to almost any other club. And that's indicative of... I'm afraid financial mismanagement and just falling asleep at the wheel. So yeah, I don't, I don't laugh at the Leicester uh, analogy. I just want us to be like that, but at an Arsenal level, and uh, shopping at the Arsenal level that we should be shopping at. I can see what he's saying. It's going to annoy people, but if you look beneath the top line, that's how we used to operate. We used to buy players like Kante when they were five million, not when they were thirty-five. That's how we used to operate, and, we, and, we've, and we've moved away from that. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things, Clive, that I think we made the huge miscalculation on was we believed that cash in the bank would be more valuable than players in the market, and the opposite was true. Um, while we were deciding that Iguain was overpriced or Anthony Martial was overpriced or some of these young French stars were overpriced, Kondogbia was overpriced or Mbappe when we first knew about him or any of these players – what actually happened is the 30 or 40 or 50 million pounds we chose to save wound up being less usable in the market as, we, as uh, fees exploded, and those players wound up being worth more. Think about the Iguain we didn't want to go to 40 million for, or whatever it was. What did Napoli sell him to Juve for? 90 million? Something yep. incredible like that? I mean, so while we were banking 30 million here and 40 million there expecting it to be of greater value down the road it actually eroded in value as as inflation was uh beyond anything we've ever seen in the transfer market and that was huge miscalculation and paul that leads to the question that i think has to be asked is it possible in this day and age for a, a club that is not going to just be given the endless resources by a sugar daddy to be run entirely by one man um the reason we had the ffp problem is because we had a wage pile up on our books um, of players who probably too many of them fall into that sort of middling or mediocre category. We made reliances upon the promises of agents that turned out not to be true. We had the Oxley Chamberlain situation. We now are sitting in the position of losing Ozil and Alexis potentially for free when we quite clearly tried to ship Alexis at least uh, at the end of deadline day. And you have a manager who's trying to figure out what to do with the first team, training them for games and, and preparing them on the pitch, and that should be a full-time job. And as he tries to do that, I think it is clear that he is getting less and less and less of the other work done. Is the job too big for one man, and are we seeing that? And was this window really the clearest indication of the job being too big for Arson? To do uh, alone. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think the first thing I'd say is, maybe it's just a shorthand, but we say, you know, that he handles everything. The reality is he can't and he doesn't. Um, he already. certainly wants to be involved in yeah. the decision-making on everything and is yeah. you know, and by being involved in that, maybe interfering with people who might be more efficiently able to transact business. I think that's exactly right. Whether it be a formal DOF or some some stronger structure, um that needs to be in place we need something because there's absolutely no way he had the 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 uh list of responsibilities we all attribute to him i mean it's just not doable i mean you lose imagine what 
you know, where his head is after you lose a Liverpool game. Okay, we went on the international break. But had it just been a normal Premier League week, he would have had his been up to his eyeballs in player issues from the moment that game was over to the start of the next game. And, you know, that's what your season's like. There's absolutely no way he can be sensibly involved with every area or take a leadership strategy, be on the cutting edge, you know, look at you look at the moves that are competitive. You know, he can't be doing competitive analysis when he's holed up in his bu- Hitler's bunker trying to work out how to play his way out of a, a corner. And even when things are going well and, uh, you know, we've strung 10 victories together, do we really want the manager trotting off to uh, look at the latest uh, moves in scouting or the hottest prospects in January, February, or March. Of course you don't. You want it, it's hard enough to do that one job well. So that model, I I think has been defunct for a little while now. Uh, I think we're already working around that, but not well because we haven't owned up honestly to the fact that the manager isn't responsible for all of those areas and he doesn't have the final say. He may have a co say in it. But it doesn't seem – we clearly haven't adjusted from the old model. Football's just too complicated. Um, it, I, it I may, agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that, Paul. I think if, 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 if Wenger had, was the only person, then we'd be much more agile in our decision-making. If he was the man that approved everything and did everything and, and had the final say on absolutely everything, then we should move quicker. And that – it feels like the opposite. I wonder what our sort of – approval structure is. I wonder who has to sign off on things. Because we look slow. You know, I wonder if in our absent owner has more to do with it than we actually realize. I, I don't know, Clive. I, I think you see in Arsene Wenger a man who is indecisive. And I think there's been a lot of evidence of that for a while. Uh, he, he used to be a very decisive, uh, ruthless manager. I mean, you look at how he cleared yeah. out the Invincibles. He knew where he wanted to take the team going forward, and he knew when he was ready to move past those players. And he may have gotten it wrong, but he made clear, decisive moves in a lot of those cases, I think you see a man now who's, what, try, keeping Oxlade-Chamberlain in the squad when it's clear he's leaving on the hope that he might get him to resign. I mean, it it looks like a man mm. who has lost his decisiveness. And I, and I would say this, what Arson seemed to need in this window and has seemed to need for a while is a guy who even back in April or May, it, it, imagine if Arson had a director of football he really trusted, someone whose opinion he trusted, and someone who was competent to say, Arson, look, I'm just going to tell you right now, I've dealt with this agent, I've been in this situation. Oxlade Chamberlain is not going to resign. You don't seem to have a clear position for him. It doesn't seem to me that you really love him as a fit anywhere in particular, and I know you like his talent. We can get $40 million for this guy. I think you should start targeting players you like in the market. Let me move this guy on, especially if we're potentially going to lose Alexis Nozel for free. Let me do that business for you, and we'll be in a better position next, next season. And then the director of football gets the okay from Arsene, and he goes on and does that. that's what he's missing is that other voice on his shoulder, the voice of reason with contracts, you know, and Tim Stillman has gone on about this a lot. um, And and if he weren't currently hiking to uh, Belarus, he he would tell us about it. But the idea that these are just normal transactions that teams undertake, you move on an Oxalade Chamberlain for 40 million and you bring in another guy who battles for a first team position. You move on the Theo Walcott's of the world. You move on. I mean, if you want Chambers and Mustafi to go, no one's going to cry a river of tears over them, but you have to know that you're moving them and replacing them. And we seem to struggle to decide it's time to move on guys who clearly aren't the linchpin of the team. And I think that indecisiveness is arsons. And, and I get your point, Clive, that maybe there's a power structure there that slows us down. But I think the slowdown um, starts with having a clear plan, and we we don't seem to have that. Mate, I'm just looking for reasons. Because <laughs> every, everything, <laughs> everything, you, everything you said there, it makes so much sense. So why isn't it happening? How can you be the sixth richest club in the world and have decision making like that and make a profit just, in the it, window? <laughs> it, it, it just it's, it doesn't it doesn't add up. It just so I'm like looking for reasons why the obvious isn't happening because everything you said there makes perfect sense. We uh, buy I think we're just dysfunctional and we're neither one thing nor the other. Well, you uh, know, we you have, have an executive in Gazidis who doesn't particularly want to work with the manager and the manager vice versa. That in itself has to make it more difficult to conduct business, doesn't it? Yep. 
Hey, well, Clive, I wanted to ask you something, though, and you can continue on this thread, but I'm just going to sort of spit out a question, then you can ignore it and go back to this. Um, yeah, I normally ignore all the questions, just say what I want. Yeah, and, and, and to be fair, when you look at who's asking them, it's the only appropriate way to take it on. It's kind of like the players. Arson tells them what to do, then they go out and they do their own thing anyway. Um, but Express yourself, Clive. Yeah, just go out and express yourself, Clive. Uh, since, since Tim is the guy who goes to all the games, let me ask uh, the two people, or the three people, including myself, who, who don't go as regularly, the question about ticket buying. But moving on from Highbury was about growing the club, was about growing the stature of the club, was about growing the match day revenue to be able to compete in an expanding environment financially. And look, I mean, putting aside what City and Chelsea were able to do and United just being streets ahead of everyone in terms of revenue, it did increase our revenue and it did increase the ability of the club to compete financially. But we have failed to leverage that. And now we're talking about how we should use the Leicester City model, which hopefully doesn't include going down a couple divisions before winning a title again. Um, as someone, I know you do go to games, as someone who has had to pay the ticket prices yep. at the Emirates, and on behalf of the people who buy season tickets, who have been promised this fairy tale golden era where the Emirates would produce not just beautiful football, but title-winning football, how big a slap in the face is it now to have the chief executive talking about Leicester City as the model for success and seeing us finish... 19th out of 20 clubs in net transfer spend in the window. How does the club repair the relationship with ticket going or, or match day going ticket buying fans in the face of what seems to be a misrepresentation about why the Emirates was built in the first place? I don't want to. I don't want to smash the club because I, I love the club. When you, I, do, I, do well. I, I went to the very first. <laughs> I very. I went to the very first game of the Emirates, and um, I remember walking over the bridge for the Danesburg Camp game. And I, look, my first thought was, wow, no one's going to come and take Thierry Henry away from us. No one's going to come and get Vieira away from us because we've just been through a few summers of you know, worrying about those players going. Right? And, uh, and I just thought this is going to be, you know, we're going we're gonna to start to really you know, be as big as we actually are. What, what seemed to really be the focus then was really financial. You know, we had some, some deals from Keith Edelman that were holding us back. And so the promised land wasn't a promised land for four or five years because we couldn't really realise it. We had some big bills to pay and we had some property deals. There was a property crash and we didn't quite have the the immediate monies from the property portfolio that we expected. And so we were we were hamstrung. And then we did hit 2014 and 2014, I, I in my opinion, I think we were doing a lap of honour. I think we've been congratulating ourselves on arriving at this place and we've made some assumptions that it's just going to continue. Um, the competitive landscape obviously changed with the addition of Man City, uh, with Tottenham finally getting a manager that's actually going to last more than six months. Chelsea just continued. Um, you know, there are teams, Liverpool have finally got themselves a manager similar to Tottenham and they're building a philosophy and a strategy. People have looked at what we've done and they've built their grounds or they've improved their grounds or expanded their grounds. And then, of course, the whole TV world exploded and and the, the ground revenue is not as important as it was when we built, when we built it. And I'm looking around and I'm looking at, and I am looking at clubs that are more efficient with their spend. And people hang on to the words when he said, we're going to compete with Bayern Munich. And I feel, I know what you, I know what they meant by that, and we should be doing that. But the way to do that, I think, we've, I think we've lost our way. The way to do that is all about players, creating an environment to attract players. And I think this is where we're missing a trick. And that means you don't just attract players based on the ground, the training ground, and your and and the, the manager, you it is a package. There's a package around facilities. There's a package around people. There's a package around pathways to playing, and I think this is where we're missing out. We're not create. We're not having a fresh project with fresh people, with fresh opportunities, with multi club ownership where we can give people opportunities, young players in different countries. We have partnerships with other teams and you create a new network that's sustainable beyond the people that are in place right now. So what we have is we have a group of age, aged people that have their network and their networks got old. So we're losing our contacts in the game to have the right structure of our players. We're losing the contacts in the game to be ahead on the scientific side. So we're just looking a little bit slow. 
And I think we just need to modernise and we need to accept we need to modernise. We need to accept we are not as attractive as we once were. And one of the reasons, I'm afraid, is our manager. Right? And, and because the other five managers in the top six are all young and fresh or, or controversial, yeah, we, we haven't got that guy. We've got the old guy that's contrary in his views, too intelligent for most football people. Only people understand who are the most intelligent journalists, and they're getting bored of him because I've had him for 21 years. And we're, and we're sitting there not as attractive as we once were. And people say, well, we're the Arsenal and we're in London. It's not enough. Oxlade-Chamberlain told us it wasn't enough. Mustafi telling us it's not enough. And so we have to look at ourselves and say, what do we need to do to be attractive? Don't be afraid to look in the mirror and say, well, actually... I've got myself, I've put on a bit of weight. Maybe I'm not in the best shape as I used to be. You know? Get this let's look at ourselves. How how nimble can we be? My what tits do we need are to sagging. Do? My ball sack <laughs> is down to my ankles. Yeah, yeah, you haven't noticed it, right? You you can't sit back and say we're the arsenal and people will want to come to us. It does not work anymore. And it doesn't work. The ground is great, the training ground is great. They're still investing in the training ground. But you know what? You need a project. You need you need modern thinking. You need opportunities to play, pathways to play. You need to think about this. I listened to the Arscast the other day, and and George Bird was on there, and he said something that really struck me. I forgot actually. We hadn't made any sort of foreign signings, even in the youth department. That means we we're, we're just absent. We're not doing our jobs at the youth level. We're not doing our jobs at the senior level. So what are, what are we doing? Well, and again, I, I think you see the, the same lack of direction there. You bring in a guy in Yonker, Jonker, Yonker, who's yep. supposed to reshape the youth team and the setup there, and he's there, you know, in not even a fraction of the time needed to do that, and then he's shipped out, um, and Murtisacker is now getting ready to take that over, and as much as I love Pear, like, y you cannot have a club, you know, football clubs are more like ocean liners than they are, you know, jet skis. They cannot turn on a dime, especially when they have to mind the money they're spending and you know they're not PSG and so the course has to be set for the long term and if you're going to change that course you have to understand that changing that course could take multiple seasons many many years it can't be done overnight um, certainly yeah. not in a week which is what we tried to do at the end of this window uh, a few things first of all I think those are all great points Clive I think we also learned that Paul uh, probably needs to see a urologist for his, for his <laughs> testicles. Paul, I, I don't go to one of those. I don't know how old you are. Facilities with a range of different kinds of doctors because that was quite a few ailments. I, 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 I don't know how old you are, but whatever the age, they're not supposed to hang to your ankles, mate. Like, that's just not normal. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> go, go to the place. Not the drip doctors, though. Don't go there. Okay. Um, so, well, all right. I mean, we, we can start to wrap this segment up and, and, and look forward to the rest of the season, but I, I think... You know, it is it is troubling, and, and you look around at the other clubs and the progress that they're making. I mean, look at Liverpool. The deal they made for Naby Keita, for example, is an example of ingenuity, of creativity, of incredible talent scouting. They have arguably the most interesting and impressive young midfielder in the world who is going to come in next summer and fill one of the roles that probably most needs to be filled at Liverpool to make them potentially a contender for the Premier League title. If not, if they aren't this season, then certainly they'd go in next season just by that move that they've already made, looking like one of the favorites. Um, they decided to hold on to Coutinho at the beginning of the summer, and they held on to Coutinho. They, you know, they didn't change in the last couple of days. I mean, maybe they did behind the scenes, and we don't know. And, and personally, I think they probably should have sold Coutinho. But at the end of the day, they've had... Since Klopp came in, they've had an idea of the kind of talent they want. They know the way they want to play. They've attracted the players to the club that fit the system that they want to play. And it's all working. And it's working the way it's supposed to. And they do not have the advantage of resources that we don't have. We certainly have greater resources than they do. Spurs, I mean, I think have gotten a little lucky with young talent and lucky with some wages. But the thing to me that when I look at our squad that, that really concerns me is I say... You know, we have a lot of middling players who are chewing up a lot of wage and, and adding very little in terms of our ability to compete. If you go to Liverpool's bench, hell, if you go to Chelsea's bench, if you go to City's bench, you're not going to see a lot of players the caliber of some of the guys on our bench, like a Theo Walcott, like an Olivier Giroud, like a Francis Coughlin, for as much as I don't rate him, like, like a Mohamed El Nenny. You know, the, these kinds of players, but 
those players don't win you titles, and they're eating up a lot of our wages. A lot of our resources are going to players, you know, Danny Welbeck, to these players that are on the fringe of the first team instead of having really good first-team players at all the key positions and then letting youth players fill in some of the other positions or fringe players battle for, for that second spot. Um, these are all things that, that I think if we had more structures at the club could be addressed, and it's just not happening right now. I, for me, it looks like a job that's gotten too big for Arsene Wenger. But having said that, um, I want to end the, the discussion in the window just with a quick sort of summary and rating from each of you. So, Paul, on a scale of 1 to 10, given what you think needed to happen really quick, um, what do you give it out of 10? What do you think was the biggest success and what do you think was the biggest failure? Uh, so, out of 10, it, it really needs to be a mixed grade because there was a good part to it and a bad part and the bad was worse than the good. Uh, four, but but... But an average score just doesn't do anything justice. Uh, best part of it, uh, I mean, our two signings are really good. We started the the window strong. Um, time will tell which one's the 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 bigger deal for us. Maybe Lacazette in the sh- short term and Kalasnak in the medium to long term. Uh, biggest failing, I just got to read this very short paragraph from from Ernst, from uh, Ornstein. There is certainly internal concern that central midfield was unaddressed, went unaddressed. Now, uh, just pause for a second. Was there anybody on the planet who didn't think we needed a central midfielder inside or outside the Arsenal supporter base? Even Blackburn George said he something to the effect of he'd be amazed if we didn't move for a central midfielder earlier in the window. That'll tell you how uniform... The consensus was we needed to do something. So here's the rest of Ornstein's spiel on that. I understand that in the days leading up to the deadline, Wenger did look at rectifying this, though it was too late. I mean, what does that even mean? You know, where do you begin with something like that? Either you need a central midfielder or you don't. Either you want a really, really good one, because after all, we have a couple of guys who are meh, um, or you don't. If you need a really, really good one, do you decide in the days leading up to the to the uh, deadline that you maybe ought to find one from somewhere? I mean, uh, uh, of all the positions on the field, to see what you can f- – to decide late in the window that you might need one, g- given how we're supposed to play, given how where play is supposed to come from in our team, given we're a possession team, what the fuck does that even mean? Where do you begin with a statement like that? It, it so. doesn't look great. So, yeah. All right. So that's the biggest failure, the biggest success, probably Lacazette or, or Kolasinac, which, oh, by the way, they're the only things we did. So fair enough. Yeah. Um, so you give it a four. Clive, biggest success of the window, biggest failure of the window, overall rating? Um, we, the, I'll give it a five. And I would have been happier if we'd have sold sold or paid off boot. Um, we didn't quite get rid of enough people. I think we had to make a decision on Jack as well. It was either alone. I think they offered him around on the last day, and it, and it didn't happen. Um, so I just think we were one on, you know, that's £180,000 a week there, or whatever you, 160000 if you want to believe. We need to get rid of those two or decide what we're going to do with them, and we didn't do anything. The two players we got are fine. We, we have, obviously they look good on the bench at Liverpool, so they're fine. I'm sure they're going to be positive, but yeah, if we were thinking about getting rid of Mustafi, I'm glad he stayed because I wonder if we'd have bought a centre half. I didn't hear anyone lined up, and centre midfield is screaming out. And suddenly, it's really interesting that I think a day or so after the transfer window closed, there was a big splash article on El Nendi on the Arsenal.com, say what a great player he is and he's, the best days are ahead. Well, I heard that, you know, obviously we heard a few weeks ago that Leicester bid 10 million for me, we accepted. So we're not sure what to believe, right? So um, personally, I think he's a good player, but he's not going to take us to the promised land, right? We should have been bidding for Bakayoko or Nabi Keita, like uh, Elliot. We should be bidding for that level of player. Until we do, we're going to have more three-star hotels on our bench that we saw at Anfield. And, um, and that's the direction we're at. We don't quite push the bow out. So um, I'll give it a five. But um, I'm hoping that throughout the, throughout the season, as we go on to talk about that, that we can prioritize the games that matter and maybe uh, 
get more for the season than we actually feel like right now. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, the funny thing is, I probably give the window a 5-2, even though you expect me to give it a 1, because overall, if you say, what's the goal in the summer? The goal in the summer is to get better than you were the season before. And I think we are. I think adding Lacazette and losing uh, and adding Kalasinac and losing really nobody of any merit who makes our team work and collecting money for Oxlade Chamberlain instead of losing him for free and the extent to which it's addition by subtraction because now the manager actually probably has to play Kalasinac at his preferred position means that we should be better this season now than we were last season. Should be. I mean, I, I think, look, can I just say one thing? Yeah. I think on paper, we've, we've done our job. On the balance sheet, we've, we started the process of getting our books balanced. But I think reputationally, we are weaker. I think how we've operated has made us look shambles. And um, to quote Aaron Ramsey, and um, we look weaker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we look we look weaker because of it, and and that's an issue. So we we may not be weaker on the pitch. We may be a touch stronger, but we're weaker as a club because of how we operate. And yes. I think that we have to repair that now. So I do think the bigger issue on the on the window is how much did we improve versus how much did we have to improve? Well, no, that was and, it. That's absolutely and the gap it. has yes. grown. The gap the has gra- grown. Gap has grown. Paul, you, you hit on the most important point, which is we yes, have I a better did. squad now than we had at the end of last season. We did not do what was required to close the gap to the top, and if anything, you'd have to say the gap not only to the top but to the top four has expanded, um, and and that is problematic. And I think. If you believe that, and if you believe we're sliding backwards and not forwards in terms of overall progress, then you have to question whether the strategy should have been try to find a buyer for Ozil, try to find a buyer for Alexis, cash in, collect funds, buy 24-year-olds who are super talented, or 22-year-olds, or 19-year-olds, and start building for the next cycle, because this cycle is probably done. By the end of next summer, we could have a 60% turnover in the playing staff um, between now and then. So... That is the question. I think selling Oxlade Chamberlain was a no-brainer. I'm glad we did it, um, but it's yes, we we bought we bought we seem to have brought in two good players. It's really hard to judge on Klasnack because we haven't seen him at left wing back yet. But we certainly did not close the gap. We certainly did not use the resources we could have, and we certainly did not have a strategy that was well laid out and organized. So maybe five out of ten. Now that I say it is a little generous, but we will see. So Paul, now the question becomes what we can do with this season. And I want to ask you this question in this way. Now that we've seen really a, a brutal start to the season where we could have dropped the first game and, and thankfully came back, we're maybe a little unlucky to lose the second and then just embarrassed in the third. At a point where it does seem the gap between us and the top four has grown and a fan base that probably would not consider another FA Cup run sufficient is the best strategy, ironically, to go all out for the Europa League this season to say that's a chance for something different. It's a chance to win a trophy. It's a chance to win a trophy that could make the season again end on a high. It's a chance to win a trophy that puts us back in the Champions League and at least gives us a modicum of opportunity to restore the status of the club and attract players. Is there an argument that the gap is too big to focus on the league and that the the Europa League actually provides us our best chance for a productive season? Well, I think we've got to hedge our bets a little bit. I think we've got to go for it sneakily. In other words, we can't actually push our chips into the middle of the table visibly. But we might want to be stacking them and lining them up and making them all neat for that moment in the season when we suddenly shove all the chips into the middle of the Europa League table. Um, I mean, realistically... uh, I think we're just about favorites for the Europa League. I think there was, when I looked at the odds, there was somebody else on about a par with us. But there's going to be a few more teams get slid into the Europa League before it's done from the Spurs. Champions League. <laughs> we, yeah. we will definitely face early on. <laughs> so, uh, and even if we're favorites at the moment, we're not evens favorites. Uh, I don't know what it was, eight to one or five to one or something. So, like, in five years, just going by the betting averages, we might win it once. So you probably wouldn't want to get too carried away with betting everything on it. Um, so a 
a balanced mixed portfolio of, of investments here is what's required. And to begin, I mean, the group stage should be okay. So we have time to see how things transpire. So I can, I think we can, we can shape up nicely for putting our eggs into the Premier League basket. I agree the FA Cup should not be our focus because we've, we've proved a point there, whatever needs to be proved. So we kind of got to, for the sake of the morale of the team anyway, you got to fix what needs to be fixed. You have to, the little Dutch boy needs to stick his finger in the dike. So let's get on with that. Perhaps two fingers, maybe even three fingers in the dike. All right. Don't get your saggy testicles in a bunch here. Um, I mean, listen, the, the, the fact of the matter is that that the Europa League is something different, and it's not something that, different yeah. that we wanted, but I think it, to that extent it, it could energize the fan base at least a little bit, although I, I could be completely off-base about that because I, I don't think most London-based fans really care about the competition at all, um, it, apart from the fact that it can be a ticket into the Champions League. I, I, Clive, I know you have no time for the Europa League, and you think we should go all out for the league. Um, I will ask you yep. again, in light of how our season has start, has your opinion changed? Um, and if it hasn't changed, what do you think are the possibilities that we could sneak back into the top four in the league? How how would that play out? Top four doesn't feel like um, a possibility at the moment. Um, but I think we just have to focus on it. I think we have to get ourselves repositioned. We've been told, we've been given the messages from everybody, every single person in the media, from players turning us down, from players wanting to leave. We've been told that we don't look so good. We are not the place to be. So how are we going to make ourselves attractive? For me, it's all about the Premier League. Um, when you lose a Premier League game, the world the world falls off its axis. So um, it's for, it's all about focusing on that. You know, the next two. I'm just thinking about the next two games. I am going on Saturday. Actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little bit more often than I normally do. I've got a new route for tickets, so I'll be there going a lot more. Because I need to, I've, I need to see it in my own eyes. What's actually happening? What the feeling is? What the priorities are? What the players are feeling? I, I need to see it because um, sometimes you don't pick it up from um, not being in the stadium, and, and also get the buzz from what the what the fans are saying. So I, I will be going at the weekend, and I just think we can. I, I'm a fan. I'm an optimist, and we're playing Bournemouth. We should be excited. We actually don't know what we're going to see because. We don't know if the players are really on board. We generally don't know if they're going to be emotionally invested in turning this around. Normally, I could say, hand on my heart, they're going to recover and bounce back. But Liverpool was so abject, I'm just not sure if the players are going to be 100% connected with the manager and then deliver on the pitch. I mean, that that is an absolutely reasonable concern to have. I mean, is part of the manager's job just to get them back on side, to just pick his best fucking 11 and put him on the pitch. I mean, Lacazette, Ozil, Alexis, Ramsey, Shaka, Bellerin, Kolasinac, Mustafi, Mertesacker, Koscielny, Czech. I mean, isn't that the start? Just be like, you know what, Arson, Be, you know, less clever. You're clearly not as clever as you think anymore, so get out of your own way. I mean, is, is that the first step, just putting the best players on the pitch? Less clever or less desperate? Sorry, Clive. Fair enough. I mean, I think some of the Oxlade-Chamberlain selection stuff was maybe not him thinking he was a genius, just trying to find a way. I mean, again, it still feels naive and desperate to me. I, you know, the first of all, the fact that a club our size felt compelled to adjust its lineup and make its selections to find a place for Oxlade-Chamberlain in the hope of getting the guy to resign when he's what you know maybe the 12th or 13th player in the squad and has never been consistent in his injury problems i mean it, that's not the way we should be operating but but clive i mean i this is still a good squad 1 to 11 at some level and let's say that they they do find the the well of fortit internal fortitude to fight together and and battle for the league and and care about the team at all and rally around each other and and go for it i mean is there in your mind an ability for a team like this to go on a run or is the fragility such that at the first sign of of trouble at the first challenge at the first hardship the collapse is always around the corner 
well, we, we got Bournemouth, right? And Bournemouth are desperate to, they got zero points, they're desperate to get some points. And if I was them, I'd be thinking, God, let's start the game fast. Let's attack them. Let's get the crowd against them. Let's put some challenges into them. And let's keep the energy high and hold the ball, keep the ball and make them nervous. That's what I would do if I was them and then see how the crowd reacts, see if the crowd can help the away team win. And then we go to Chelsea, right? And it's like that game. All right, so 6-0, then what's after that? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 that's the game, isn't it? And it's, it's not because of who we're playing. It's, I'm, just, I'm just not sure if the players trust the manager anymore. We have the players. We've shown that in the cup final. We've shown that on big games towards the end of last season. We have the players. We have the talent. We may not be top two in the table talent, but we, you know, with a couple of bit more wise decisions last year, we could have easily got into a top four. We have the talent, but I just worry about the breakdown between the players and the manager. And that's his job now. Can he get them back? It's, it's, it's almost bigger than selection, Elliot. Do you see what I mean? It's bigger than selection. I'd, the selection piece, we can discuss that and analyse it. And obviously some of the things he did wrong were, were very, very obvious. But what we saw was beyond selection. That were players running rogue, doing what they liked, players not recovering, players not putting the effort in, players not playing together, players not supporting each other, not supporting the manager. It, it was it was abject. Players giving up at certain periods. And um, you've got to fix that first. And then before we... We don't know what formation we're going to play. There's rumors of going back to a back four. That's a big question. It, yep, that's a big, know, big question. We, we've got so many unknowns that we won't know until the first five minutes of the game at the weekend. And you can see it you know, as, a, as fellow Arsenal watchers. We will know just how the ball's moved around the pitch, how engaged the players are. We will know in the first five minutes what's happening at this club because the players will talk to us and they'll let us know exactly what's happening. Yeah. And it, the, da the danger of that, Clive, because I think that's spot on. The danger of that is I'm afraid that's true, that the spectators will think they're going to know in the first five or ten minutes. And, and what the what the team and the manager need is so, just blind support for a while, regardless of how shit they I agree, are. Paul. I agree, for, Paul. For a few games, I mean, if you you know, if you want to slate them later on in the year when when the cake is baked, but this is going to be a very fr fragile setup. It's going to require team manager. There's some clarity here, right? The the team and the squad has finally been set. It wasn't just Ox who played in that final game uh, against Liverpool who didn't know if he was staying or going. You know, Mustafi. I don't know if he knew he was staying, but he spent part of the summer trying to go so uh, all around the pitch there's players with question marks about who's staying who's going why is that guy standing next to me well, you know why isn't Kalasinak there why is Ox there so now we've got clarity the managers yeah. had a, a um, best part of two weeks to settle down the other thing I would say is a year or two for Arson to do something different and he did and it kind of worked and now it's kind of not working. At the end of the day, like it or not, the manager has to go with his gut and his instinct, whatever that may be. And he's got to trust himself. And maybe we should ask, we should stop asking him to change right now and just yeah. do whatever you got to do. He's got to do what he knows how to coach these players to do. Because I'll yeah. tell you something. You know, this is the mistake I think we make as supporters sometimes is thinking, oh, we have the players to play a back three. So he should just set them up as a back three and then they'll thrive. That's not how yeah. it works. Klopp doesn't just walk into a team and say, we're going to start counter-pressing. You know, yeah. Pochettino doesn't just go into a team and say, okay, counter-press. That's not how it works. The, these players yeah. are drilled hours a day, every day of the week, where to be off the ball, where to be on the ball. In the attacking phase, here's the position you occupy. In the defensive phase, here's how you stay compact. And I don't believe for a second that Arsene has the detail-oriented nature or the knowledge of a back three setup or, or the, the tactical 
real understanding, and I, I'm, I'm painting him as a fool, which is not what I mean, but I don't think he has the the style to drill That's his team that way. That's not where he puts the eggs no, in exactly. the basket. That so what is I'm not sa- the basket. Right. So what I'm saying is having them play a back three, but not drilling them on where to be and how to play it doesn't improve the team. And you said something really important a couple podcasts ago, Paul, which is that he's taken this back three and found a way to make it look every bit yeah. as vulnerable as a back four. And you know why? Because in possession, it's a two-eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's two guys back and eight guys on the on the edge of the attacking third. So, or, or one guy back when Bellerin's the well, in only that case, guy. Yeah. Now, so having said that, so then go to a back four if that's what you know how to pick, if that's how you know what to set up, if that's what you know how to drill and coach because you've been doing it for 20 years. Real Madrid seemed to do okay with it. You can win in it. And while I'm not saying we were tearing up trees in it last season, if that's what you're most comfortable in and that's what you have the best instincts for, long-term that's going to be the solution. Now, I don't know what will happen, but Clive, I mean, I think the the big issue is going to be can he get the players to fight for him? And two of the big players he's going to need to get to fight for him for this season to work out are Ozil and Alexis. So my question to you is how confident are you on each, on Ozil and on Alexis? And, and you can touch on Ozil's statement, his hey guys, you know, fans statement thing that he did um, if you want to. But how confident are you that he can get each of these guys to – to really fight for the cause for the rest of the season? I don't feel confident. I really don't. And um, I thought Ian Wright called out Ozil brilliantly. I mean, he he needs to reciprocate his love for the club by signing for the club so we can start to build a playing strategy around him for the next few years. Right now, we're asking for new players, but how can we invest in the type of stellar names that we really, really need? who they're going to play with. The first thing a player will ask is Ozil and Sanchez staying. And if you can't answer that question, no one's coming. Don't you feel his statement was a pretty clear decision not to stay? I mean, it it felt like he was basically saying, guys, I'm not going to be here next season. (laughs) Yeah, he sort of left it open, didn't he, skillfully, and said, I'm not sure what the future holds, uh, which is a skillful way of saying, please support us. Yeah, exactly. And... um, Please support us. He may he may stay actually due to the fact that he's um he's not the demand doesn't seem high, but if he doesn't sign, I'm sure Bayern Munich will love a free transfer. We'll take him on a free transfer, give him a signing on fee, and have him in their team, no problem at all, right? So um, it's just a uh, it's just it's just business with with Alexis. I, I it sounds like well, all you read and whispers that you hear that he's totally heartbroken. And um, and he has got the propensity and the skill set to put a massive soul on for six months and go in January. So um, it's it, it's a problem. And again, it's back to the it's back to the unknowns. We 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 don't know. We're in a situation where we have no idea about the trust between the players and the manager. And then because of that, the fans are on tenor hooks, and we are you know as a fan group there's an explosion around the corner based on what we see on the pitch. If Chelsea goes bad and Bournemouth goes bad, we're going to have to do a five-hour podcast just to cover it. Is, is there a just... chance the manager can go? I mean, in your mind, Clive, is there any scenario where Arsene Wenger goes mid-season? I, I mean, let's, say, I let's say we believe... drop points in both of those games and then the Chelsea game's a humiliation. I was tweeting the other day and I used the word seminal. As I sent it, I thought... I said that before. Is that the I stuff that comes out of my, my little boy parts when I get really excited? <laughs> uh, said, that's it. This moment feels seminal. I remember tweeting it. As I, as I sent it, I said, um, I said to myself, Clive, you said that before. I'm sure you said it after Palace. I'm sure you said it around that period. And we've had these seminal moments before, which we thought, this has got to be it. But then we do something. We recover. We go on a run. We do something by surprise. I mean... He just manages to get away with it. It's part of our survivalist culture that we have at the moment. And while we're surviving, we're not thriving. And, and everyone else is thriving and we are falling behind. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure. But I really do think if we have two more bad games, I really wonder. If, and if they were like Liverpool, where the players gave up, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and, and a certainly, I mean... You know, it looked like he had lost the dressing room at Liverpool. I mean, if it gets any worse than that, any more clear and obvious, then 
I just think you wind up with an untenable situation. And at some point, even these spineless cowards that run the club will have no choice unless they're going to do what they've always done, which is leave it to Arson to do the bigger thing and just leave. Um, Paul, final thoughts here. It's Bournemouth at the weekend. Uh, how do you expect that he'll line up? Do you think Alexis will be able to play? I know he's playing at about a million feet of altitude in La Paz uh, tonight, I think. And... You know, that's not going to make it easy for him to come back. What do you think will be the formation, the lineup? Any surprises on store for us? Uh, I think it's all up in the air. I, I think he's got to have a little bit of a come-to-Jesus meeting with himself, so God knows how he'll come out of it. So uh, I guess we'd stick with the back three for now. Uh, he hasn't had enough time to train with these guys to shake everything up, you would think. Uh, not that it's a huge switch, obviously, going to a back four, but just, you know, uh, they've lost one game with now uh, in recent times with the back three. I think he's. I think he'll stick with back three. So um, it's well, going to be very games, interesting. Right? Stoke, Stoke and Liverpool. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck the back three. All right. Um, I, yeah, I mean, but one of those didn't count because okay. we really won it and we were robbed because yeah. of yeah, like yeah, yeah. stuff and, and Lacazette scored. So it was a kind of a draw. Um, you think he'll, so, he'll put Kolasinac back at left, uh, left back or left wing back? Yeah, he's got, he's got a, he's got to freshen things up and that's an easy move. And you know, he's got enough, um, uh, uh, center backs. So, uh, yeah, I think, it, I, I think, I think it'll be an interesting decision on Sanchez because Sanchez may need a bit more time to get his head together uh, and to come back into the team on on Wenger's terms. Um, and he's going to be fairly knackered and he didn't play very well the other night for Chile. So this could be the one occasion in his history in which the manager, I'm exaggerating slightly, but not far off, the, the manager might consider uh, arresting him. Yeah. And I, I mean, I I kind of would get it. Unfortunately, I mean, it's one of these things, right, where we bring in Kolasinac and we, we bring in Lacazette and you'd like to just see a settled side. And if he doesn't, if he's not able to start Alexis, this game, you'll be going to Chelsea four games into the season. And actually, yeah. I guess we have a Europa League game midweek. So, you know, maybe five games into the season without a settled side and without our two new signings being able to integrate with the, the best players. And it's it's just a mess. Clive, Um just real quick final thought here that something that I had wanted to raise and get your thoughts on is just, is there a solution here to try to save the season in part to offer Ozone Alexis contracts that significantly raise their wage for this season, pay them more money, announce to the fans that we've re-signed them, put in reasonable release clauses so that if they still want to go in the summer, they can go, that we can collect a fee, that they can make a bunch of money this season. And is that sort of the best path to try to get them on side if possible? That's what I would do because you're protecting the player. If they get an injury, I mean, look what happened to Victor Valdez last year at Barcelona. He got a cruciate injury and ended up being without a club for a while and then basically ended up at Middlesbrough for a little bit. I mean, it's it's not, it is a risk as a player to um, run your contract down. So I would extend them all by a year, pay them a little signing on bonus and make sure they get well paid for this year and come next year. If they want to go, they can, they can have our agreement to go. But at least we get a nominal fee back, a number back, which covers the spend, which we've we outlaid, and we can reinvest it in the squad. That ma that makes a lot of sense. But players are driving hard bargains, so let's see what happens. So they play nice to us on Instagram, but when it comes down to it, they don't sit with the manager and sign on the line. Well, and you so think they'd on. like it, right? And the funny thing is, it'd be the kind of thing that their agents would push for because the agent would get more money for this season with the new contract. They'd get more money with the transfer fee in the summer. I mean, it's great for the agent. It's the kind of thing you'd think they'd be in their ear pushing for. So you would hope that it would be doable. Um, you, you have any expectations for the weekend? Yeah, it, make, it makes sense. So I just finished it off. It makes sense. But it's funny how Benga come out today and said... You know, he'd want to close the January window and there are already rumours that Alexis is going to push for a transfer in January so maybe this isn't over and so we'll see what happens there to watch his space for the weekend I sort of agree with Paul I think we'll stick with the back three 
I looked at Koscielny limping around playing for France against Luxembourg. He got a big kick in his Achilles. So let's see what happens there. We really need him. We just need that stability. Um, Alexis, I'm not sure if he's in the right shape or frame of mind. And if we don't have him playing, we've got enough forward-type players to get through get through for Bournemouth at home. But obviously Chelsea away is another scenario. But I think it's above, it's above and beyond that. I think this is one of those... This is one of those speeches that's required, um, like any given Sunday, right? It's about, <laughs> I tell you what, guys, it is one of those to say, do you, you know, it's back to David Rowcastle. Remember who you are and who you represent because those players did not play for the badge the last time we saw them. And that's what I would say if I was a major. And it's beyond formation, systems, partnerships. It's playing professionally, feeling the game, understanding what's required as an Arsenal player and delivering it in front of a home crowd. They really do need to do that. And if they do, we'll be fine. If they don't, we have a big problem at the club and I'm afraid that problem manifests itself as a manager. And I do feel if 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 they were to down tools, I don't think the club could sustain it for much longer. Yeah, well, and, and ultimately, there may need to be a rock bottom. You know, I mean, the good thing about being Arsenal is that in theory, if it whatever the rock bottom is, it's recoverable. You know, I don't think it's going down two relegations before coming back up or anything crazy like that. So, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed that the season can be salvaged. But I think there's a lot of us now that consider salvaging the season just pretty much being getting through it, having a few good memories, and, and hoping for a reset in the summer potentially. Um, we'll see. Ultimately, it's always good to have club football back. I mean, I am looking forward to the season. I think there is still talent. Uh, if they can all get on the same page, and if the manager can get out of his own way a little bit, uh, there's still every chance that they can play some decent football this season and surprise us. So we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed for that. Clive is on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you. Paul's on Twitter at Paws my Pants. Thanks, Paws. Yeah, just got to say, there's a big uptick here if they ever get their act together over last season. That could be the big win. It's just unlikely, but but there really could be a big uptick here. Yeah, I mean, I think if the manager can convince the players to fight for the cause, there's still enough talent in the squad that they can achieve something together. Um, You know, you look at the FA Cup final, and you know what, Paul? Like, the one thing it proves is when they feel something's on the line that they want to fight for, they showed what they can do. You know, I think the reason they were good in the FA Cup final is because they wanted a trophy, and they went out and they took it. If they care enough to fight like that this season, there are still things they can fight for, no matter how lost the cause may feel right now. And... As always, we're probably a little too affected by whatever the last result is. At the end of the day, yeah. on XG, as we like to reference, we were fairly dominant against Leicester, fairly dominant against Stoke, even though those games were kind of a clown car at some level and you know we lost at Stoke. The Liverpool defeat was an embarrassment, and it was an embarrassment of the manager's making, and I think that has a lot of people overreacting, and in some ways the club overreacted in the final week of the window to that result as well. So we'll see what comes from it now. Um, in any event, we will be back after the Bournemouth game. We'll figure out how to do this once Europa League kicks up. Um, maybe we'll just play like uh, Benny Hill music for 30 minutes after the <laughs> Europa League games and publish that. We'll see. In any event, we'll figure it out. Tim will be back after he's done walking to, uh, to Belarus, and uh, he sends his regards. So cheers up the Arsenal at the weekend. We'll talk to you after the match. 